today's going to be another interesting one. And the fact that we've got uh, some special guests in out here in the middle podcast, and it's not every day that you get somebody that actually gets on their plane and flies into a DCIA. You know, it is a, it's a, uh, with all the air traffic that we've got out here, it's pretty tough to get people on the private plane to be able to land. But at the same time, uh, we've got some interesting guests out here today that are going to be speaking about something that's near and dear to our heart. Uh, and, uh, and to that, I mean, if you drink this every day, it's good for your heart. Damn right. It is. That's what I'm talking about. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys, uh, introduce yourselves. We're also joined. Danny's out at the farm today. So Danny's going to be chiming in and, and Danny's got a much more, um, cultured palate than I do when we're talking about wine. Yeah, I don't know about that. How do you, how do you like the way that I said that cultured palate? It's pretty good. It's cultured. Thank Sounds you. Cultured. Mm, it's very cultured. Cultured. Chris. Sophisticated. Sophisticated. There you go. I don't, I don't tend to go with that very well, but, but Chris, introduce yourself. Who are you? Uh, my name is Chris Brundret. Um, uh, Owner, founder, uh, winemaker for William Chris Vineyards uh, or William Chris Wine Company in High Texas. Um, we started in 2008 um, with uh, one of my best friends, Bill or William, and uh, we started William Chris Vineyards. We're a small little family uh, operation in High Texas. Um, we're blessed to have 64 families that that are our company uh, today, and um, have a really Awesome winery and vineyard operation. We buy grapes from 27 different te- Texas families uh, across the state. We make 100% Texas-grown wine, um, which is something that's really near and dear to my heart. And, uh, you know, have a couple of different sister brands like uh, uh, Skeleton Key, which you can see out in, in stores, and, and uh, Yes, We Can Wines, which is a Sway Rosé uh, product. And I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Jay. Hey, no, I'm, when you sent me that text message and said, hey, I'm, I'm – interested in coming out and seeing the vineyard and talking, whatever. I'm like, it's not every day that you get people to come out and see you anyways. Yeah. Uh, but you decided to bring a, bring a, a tag along with you today. I did. Uh, my de- dear friend, Jessica Dupuy, um, she and I have been friends for quite a long time and, and, uh, she's a big supporter of Texas wine. And, um, when she heard I was going out here, she's like, man, I'd love to make it back out. I think she w- went out a couple of years ago and really loved it. And, uh, I just love watching her career over the last, uh, decade. we I still remember the day that, that, uh, she said, Hey, I'm going to get into wine more. And, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. And, so. and Jessica, I mean, you've got the last name for wine already. I mean, it'll... Jessica Dupuy. Yeah. <laughs> really you did that really well. <laughs> You're going to get the Frenchman all fired up. He's going to be like, Oh, we, we, so, so you work with Texas monthly. Yeah. So I'm a freelance writer. So I've been writing about food and wine for the past, um, um, 10 to 15 years almost. It's kind of crazy. Um, and, uh, wine really took off for me. Um, when Chris talks about kind of watching the trajectory of my career for the past, um, 10 years, I started writing for, uh, Texas monthly on Texas wine specifically. And that, um, has kind of seen its own evolution. Uh, I'm a certified sommelier now and certified specialist of wine. And that's kind of taken me all over the world to travel and understand different vineyards and different regions and how, they do wine, uh, which has allowed me to put Texas wine in context. Um, in addition, I write about food. I do uh, cookbooks and um, write about other, uh, you know, trends and things like that for different publications. Will you uh, speak a little closer to your mic for us? Even closer. Yeah, there you go. Like you're almost going to kiss it. Okay. It's it's like you're putting your nose to that glass for the first time and you're. I don't know where I am. Yeah. No. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. good? Okay. It's all right. We're, we're out here in the middle of somewhere. So, yeah, I mean, that's, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So 
you came to the vineyard last year. Last summer. Correct. Last summer. And I had to leave. Yeah. So I missed you by 30 minutes or something. Yes. That morning. Yes. Um, and was that your first experience in Dell City? In Dell City, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, to do research for a book on wines of the Southwest. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're doing that. This is, is this your second time? First no, time? this is my first time so, in Dell City. Yeah. Chris, this is your first time. Yeah. What, just a 30,000 foot view, what do you think of grapes in such a harsh climate? And in, in climate, as I can well, try to put words We're in a really old climate. plane, so we were only at about 15,000 feet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Are your arms tired? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an old hoopty. Uh, but no, I mean, first impression is uh, really great. Obviously, we, we farm and, and, and make a lot of wine out of high plains grapes, so it's not incredibly dissimilar. But um, however, it's, it's a super unique spot. And I think that... Um, I don't know. From what I've seen of the farm, it looks really legit. Um, You guys look like you have a, a, to keep wine alive out here or grapes alive out here. Um, You're doing something right. And and I know it's a constant struggle, but from what I've seen of the vineyards, they look fantastic. Um, You know, I'm in and out of probably most, or at least used to be out of in and out of most high plains vineyards. I'm in, I'm in some of the 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 best uh, of the best of Texas. And, and this looks really fantastic. I'm really, really happy to be here. So that's a good spot to kind of walk ourselves into the best of Texas. Mm-hmm. And Danny, I think you can, you can chime in on this too, because we were talking about as we were on our way over here to the mall, that, that the culture of wine drinkers in the El Paso, Texas area is much different from somebody that you would find in the hill country or Dallas or Houston and the fact that you guys have a very California mindset when it comes to drinking wine. Yes. For the most part, El Paso is kind of, uh, as you go through the restaurants and through the wine stores or liquor stores, the popular, you know, what, what is considered the popular brands is what pops out. And if you're looking for Texas wine, it's, it's tough. It's, uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to kind of define. And once you do find it, uh, more often than not, you're like the first one to try it. And right. That's something that, uh, you know, Jay and I have been talking about for the past three years is trying to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we change that? Sure. Because, you know, New Mexico has their own little community of, of wineries. And even they, I think, would say that they struggle in the El Paso market. El Paso is such a geographically isolated place. Sure. And uh, Napa has just, you know, kind of made a big, you know, has, has a big footprint in El Paso, just, uh, uh, just probably from people traveling there and bringing back their wines. And so that's what they always want to see. That's what they always, that's what they're looking for. If we, in the restaurants, when we bring in a new wine or something that they haven't heard of already, more than likely they're going to, they're going to pass it by and go to something they know. And in the restaurants, we're going to, we have tried and are going to continue to try to, to push sure. some of the the lesser known wines and try to expand everybody's palate. And that's kind of one of our goals. And, and that's one of the things too. So, so now we are Texas wines, you know, we're, we, we grow grapes in Texas. So we right. want, we want people to enjoy Texas wine, which I've been drinking some of yours that you graciously sent over. And, and, and honestly, it is good wine. It is, it is very good wine. And for people like me growing up in New Mexico, you know, I used to wear a, a shirt over my ski jacket when we would go 
to northern New Mexico and ski. And I always said if God would have intended Texans to ski, he'd have given them a mountain. And you didn't and, like me in my Scotch guarded jeans, right? Right. <laughs> Come on, man. Which, which how I would ski now. But at the same <laughs> at the same time, what is what is Texas wine doing to get ahead of the negative connotation that you can't grow gr- good fruit here? Well, I think it's going every day. It's it's an it's one guest at a time, one fan at a time. And if you look at uh, if you look at every city differently, right? And, and and we're not honestly doing a good enough job in El Paso yet, but we but we we're getting there, right? Um, and if you look at the evolution of Texas wine, you know, ten years ago. I've been in the business for almost 15 years and and looking at where we were 15 years ago and where we're at now, it's worlds, it's universes different. And the opportunities to, to grow our market are incredible right now. Um, And if you look at why we're, we're not in El Paso in a strong suit, I mean, I I think it's just, we've got big fish to fry in Austin, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio. And once and those markets are becoming better and better markets for us. And they're all different, by the way. I, I think Jessica would agree with me. The Dallas market and the Houston market and the San Antonio market and the Austin market are all vastly different. They all have different preferences. And it's kind of interesting to see the cycles. And I grew up in San Angelo, Texas, so it's it's interesting to go back home there. Cowboy country. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, an old hood rat, like rat from San Angelo. But um it's interesting to see the wine culture there and like how it's evolved. And it's, it's not incredibly unlike El Paso, you know, it's been dominated by certain brands and, you know, I always like love that story of the shoe salesman that, you know, two companies send shoe salesmen to India. Right. And one guy flyers back, say, there's no business here. You know, uh, nobody wears shoes. Um, you know, I'm coming home and the other guy wires home and says, send every shoe we have. Nobody wears shoes. The market's wide open. And so I always look at it like that as like, there's a huge opportunity, um, especially in Texas. Um, but to get over the negative connotations, Hey, we've, we've got to continue making better wine. And then we've got to change, get liquid to lips. We've got to encourage people to come taste. And, you know, I, I love that we live in Texas that, and, and at William Chris, we're, we have an amazing place for people to come and enjoy. And, and whenever you walk through those doors, it doesn't matter if you've been drinking wine for 25 years or 15 minutes. I mean, the guy that just dropped his, his Dr. Pepper down and decided to try wine for the first time, wine's a scary thing. And, you know, I think that uh, it's one of the most natural of the earth products. And when you're able to share with somebody intention, when somebody can drink a glass of wine and hear about the guys that grow, grew it, and the guys that made it, or guys and girls that grew it and made it, um, it, it really creates in, uh, a connection and intention. And, and to be able to teach that to somebody and give that to somebody, I mean, like, it is, it's incredible. And to have people that think, and we were talking earlier about this, you know, um, to have people think about where their wine comes from or where their food comes from and how their money, um, how their intention with their purchases matter, I think is really incredible. And, and I think we start that with wine. I mean, it, it's a, a very easy lead in product and it's really fun to drink. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think in Texas in particular, the problem has been that, um, People maybe tried Texas wine about 20 years ago and had a bad experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did have, you know, some some good wines out there, but by and large, the majority of the wines that were being produced then were not that great. Um, that's changed quite a bit, but it's been hard to get people back to the the watering trough, so to speak, to kind of give it a give it a go. Um, what's changing is, and I've seen this in particular, like with with William Chris and and a number of other producers, is the quality of the fruit's gone up. The quality of the wine has gone up among a certain circle of producers. 
Um, and what's happening is they're starting to reach out to the influencers in the market. And those are the sommeliers and the wine buyers for the restaurants and retailers. Mm -hmm. And that's where you're starting to get that liquid to lips, right? Because not everyone's able to go out to the Hill Country. Um, I think Austin's been open to Texas wine and the Hill Country because they've been the proximity is so close. But Dallas is not so much. Houston, not so much. And so you've had to turn the attention um, to those sommeliers, to those retail buyers that are willing to give it a try, which has kind of been hard at first. Right. Um, but through persistence and again, a consistent showing of quality wine, that's really starting to turn. I think even in the past couple of years to a large degree. Absolutely. And our pricing's gotten better and yeah. our quality's gotten all, all around. And, you know, like you used to come to William Chris and taste in our, you know, hundred year old farmhouse and kind of a shed. And, uh, you know, we're having more and more opportunities to present our wines better. And we're getting out in, in, in better and better markets like New York and Chicago, you can find our wines and, um, to like Jessica said, to be able to, to touch those, those different folks. Um, and I mean, I think the worst, the worst thing that happens in my business or one of the worst things is somebody says, this wine's really great for Texas. And you're like, screw you, man. Like, how about just saying it's really great wine? Like, like if you were tasting this blind, like, why do you have to compare us to anything else? Like, we're not trying to grow California grapes. We're not trying to make Italian wine. We're trying to grow Texas wine. And we just wanted to take a couple quick seconds to thank some of our sponsors. One of our sponsors and a sponsor of mine for a long time has been Walls. Walls Outdoor Wear. Absolutely amazing product. I personally love their ditch digger pants. I know it's starting to get a little bit warm, but at the same time, those pants breathe amazingly well. They're super comfortable and they fit you, especially if you have a dad bod like me. If you want any more information about Walls Outdoor Wear, you can go to walls.com. Tell them Jay sent you. This podcast is sponsored by Chaffe, world-class alfalfa. Chaffe is grown in the shadows of the Guadalupe Mountains, the highest peak in the state of Texas. Our unique climate offers cool nights, warm days, and allows us to grow some of the finest forage on the face of the planet. For more information about Chaffe, please visit www.chaffe.com. So with that, I have a question for all three of you, starting with you, Danny. Why wine? Um, <laughs> wine is a lifestyle. I mean, once you get into it, you, you learn to appreciate it. And, and I, I kind of, I think typical grew up in El Paso, obviously exposed to beer and bodice before most kids were exposed to <laughs> anything else. It's, it's kind of like a flu shot. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, um, you know, as you, as you get a little older and you start, uh, you start tasting some wine and, and then you appreciate the fact that wine and food literally go together. I mean, it's just, it's, it enhances the experience. And, um, I think that's what, I, I think that's what happened to me is I, I realized that it, it is more of an experience than just, you know, going out and having a drink. Uh, and I still enjoy a good bourbon or, but, even the bourbon, I've found myself appreciating the the story behind it, right? Who, where, where it came from, and how old that distillery is, and things like that. And that's what I think wine really does. Is it? There is a story behind most wines, mm -hmm. and uh, and Chris, like you you mentioned earlier, it's it, you 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 feel a little bit more of it. It's it becomes an experience, and and 
you start noticing the little differences between the wines and and then understanding how whites you know are very good with certain meals or just certain times of the day or certain temperatures and and uh it became it really is kind of my go-to depending on the weather and the food and the mood there's always a wine that that fits right, right. and uh and i think it's it's something that you just learn to appreciate um at least that's that's kind of been my experience jessica why wine why not? <laughs> Why not? Why not? No, I think I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think, you know, traditionally and historically, wine is has been consumed around the table as part of a community experience. And I think that if you look at different cultures throughout the world, you know, you're sitting around a table and enjoying food together. But the wine also enhances that experience. And I think when you consider, you know, some of the the topical information of like or the, the trendy um, aspect of, of farm-to-table eating right now, wine really is an important part of that, particularly in other parts of the world. If you look in Europe, like when you go to different parts of Italy, you're drinking wines that are from that region. Uh, and that's starting to take root here in the United States. I mean, we're a much younger drinking culture uh, in terms of our history, thanks to prohibition. But I think that we're starting to see that evolution happen more and more. And I think that's a huge win for Texas as we as we continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're you know, we're starting to you know, I think it all starts with food and slowing down. And I mean, the times we're in right now is is, is it can really remind me that how important it is to slow down our lives, you know, and enjoy our food rather than grab a McDonald's hamburger. Like, you know, think, think about how we can slow down, enjoy our time with our family and friends and enjoy lunch, enjoy dinner. Um, you know, I enjoy Coors Light. Don't get me wrong every now and then and crushing one of those, but I've never had an emotional experience. It's never really brought my family closer together. But when people sit down and drink, drink, our I wine. don't know, man, there were some pretty <laughs> emotional experiences in college with Coors Light. <laughs> uh, I'm not disagreeing with that. But I think that um, wine can encourage people to slow down and enjoy, um, you know, nobody, uh, there's some people that crush wine to the dome, you know, right. take it. But, um, you know, I think like you guys were saying earlier, the ability to slow down and enjoy life just for a moment and appreciate the people that grew our food is something so substantial and um, something so uplifting that it's really contagious. And one, and wine is that gateway gateway to that, um, to think about the different vintages. I mean, it's amazing that you can recognize different vintages in different areas and wine tastes different from different places. And you're seeing this really cool movement in, in Texas and that we're creating a culture, right? We're, we're now growing wine that and making it in a style that grows great with our cuisine. Um, for mother's day, I went home to San Angelo and we made fajitas. I went down and grabbed, uh, my favorite tortillas from, 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 uh, the corner stop, uh, tortilla place that I can't get anywhere else. Right. And we, we made fajitas and beans and like, you know, uh, smoked some jalapenos and like enjoyed. So you didn't go with a Merlot on that one? No, we, we made, we, we did this. And so the relief wine and, um, you know, it was super cool that we're making this like light, fresh, um, red wine that you can, um, put in the fridge for 20 minutes that goes so good with our cuisine. Like, and that, I mean, I know that that exact meal isn't exactly El Paso, but it's the Tex-Mex San Angelo meal that I grew up making and loving and, you know, learning how to, to cook with my family and friends. And, and, um, that wine just went so well. And there's, yeah, there's some other wines that might, might be doing okay, but 
taking a bite out of a, of a smoked jalapeno and like that wine was just like, it was perfect. I mean, it's like, we're starting to make wines that go great with our cuisine and we don't make most areas of the world don't make wine in that style. Well, and what's interesting about that, having written a lot about barbecue and Tex-Mex is that our, our, the wines that Texas makes best are actually not the Napa style wines. Right. Um, and I think it's going to be a matter of time, maybe hopefully, hopefully for El Paso drinkers, but you know, to, to start to get into that frame of mind, because as you said, the wines that go really great with Tex-Mex and barbecue are rosés and lighter, fresher red wines that are lower in alcohol, not as rich and ripe in style, but much more nuanced and earthy. And those, the cuisines that we are most proud of in the state of Texas are completely well-suited for the wines that that I think more and more Texas producers are making, but it, it is a completely different style than what you would find in California, which is okay. And it should be because we're not California, right? Like right. Our, our climate is nothing like it. And we'd like to stay that way. <laughs> yes, we're okay with that. <laughs> so, so with that being said, I remember in college, so, so somebody said, I'd give you a hundred bucks if you'd quit drinking beer and, and booze for 30 days. Because, you know, it's college scene. So every Tuesday night we had a poker night. Every Thursday we went to the bar. Every Friday night it was a barbecue. Every Saturday night we were picking guitars around a campfire somewhere. That's, you know, and they said, they said, they said, we, we don't want you to, to, to no hard alcohol and no beer. And so the first thing I went to do is I went to Walmart and I got a big old bottle of Yellowtail. <laughs> and, uh, and so I drink, I've never had hangovers like that before in my life. Mm. But there's so many people out there that don't understand how easy, and I don't want to take this away from, from a sommelier or for somebody that's got a, a cultured palate. Well. Um, <laughs> but, but the thing that I'm, I'm getting at is I think a lot of people feel intimidated by wine, you know, and I know that that was kind of me, you know, I started and I, it was funny because I was drinking it in mass amounts, but at the same time, even poisoning my taste buds the way I did, I started to identify things that I did really start to like out of cheap wine. Sure. And, and so that was one of those things that it kind of, it, now it's progressing and progressing thanks to Danny. I mean, Danny's cultured me on some wine that, you know, you drink it and you're just like, Oh my gosh, this is sex in the bottle. Yeah. Uh, but the, the biggest thing that, that, that a lot of people and a lot of people that listen to this do, you know, in the Midwest and the Northeast and stuff like that, if they went to a dinner and they sat down and they said, Hey, this is, this is your choice of wine. They would say one, you don't have Coors Light or Bush Light or whatever. What do you, what do you tell to the person that's intimidated by drinking wine? How do you get into it? Because you'll sit down with somebody that's, you know, they're swishing the, the glass around and they're looking at the tannins and they're looking at the color and they're taking all of this stuff in. And the person next to them is going like, is it going to taste like cardboard or is it like, <laughs> what, what am I drinking? So, so how do you talk to that person out there that's saying, I don't know what my, my favorite is. I don't sure. know how to drink wine. I don't, what, what do I do? I would definitely start out and Jessica, I, I, I think you'll just, uh, you'll agree with me, but people that know wine or enthusiasts about wine, we love to talk about it. And I, I, as, as growing up, when I first started like getting into wine in, in late high school or college, when I was coming back, uh, there's a, a great little wine shop. And that guy took me under his wing and taught me so much about wine and regions. Um, your local HEB has great wine stewards, wine shops. They love talking about wine. That's a great way to start talking to your restaurant sommelier. There are some psalms that are assholes. And that's just like, and, you know, they want to, they know four things and they're going to tell you all four things in the five minutes they get to know you. 
but that's that's the small amount, right? Um, there's so many great great wine people in the in the retail uh, and the hospitality industry that love talking about it. Also, the internet is an amazing amazing source of information. But you know, start your wine journey. Start start going to wineries, and and I guarantee you, almost every winery, and I've been to so many wine regions across the country and in the world. They love welcoming you, welcoming you in and teaching you about the way they make wine and about wine is made, how wine is made. And I think that um, you'll never find more amazing folks than in the wine industry um, all the way around. Obviously, everybody likes to drink and, and have a good time, and they're usually pretty good uh, in the kitchen as well. So I don't know, Jessica, what would you say? Man, I think there's so many fun conversations that you can have to just get started with someone. And I, I think, you know... A lot of people are concerned about whether or not they're drinking the right wine and is their preference an okay preference to have, right? Like it's, it's funny because we started this conversation based on beer and being able to just go pick up some Coors Light, but eventually your beer preferences probably have changed, especially with the onset of the craft beer movement, right? So now you're interested maybe in what's an IPA and what's a double hopped IPA and like all of these different things. Wine's the same and and you don't have to go out and spend $50 on a bottle. In fact, you probably shouldn't at first. And I love to explain to people that, that for instance, let's just take one category, um, Napa, right? Like some great producers are coming out of Napa, no question, but you may not have the wallet, uh, depth to be able to go buy a bunch of those wines right now. That's okay. Let's take a look at Portuguese red blends and talk about how, when you set some really nice, big, bold red wines from Napa next to some of these um, Portuguese red blends that might cost more like $10 as opposed to a $50 or $100 bottle of Cabernet from um, Napa Valley. You're not talking about the same flavors necessarily, but you are talking about some similar styles. And all of a sudden, when you kind of just take the the worry about price out of the out of the equation, people are interested in kind of talking a little bit more about it and and giving things a try. In addition, I, I think the only question, if, especially when you ask smallies who aren't the assholes, um, the question they want to ask people most and they hope people will be comfortable answering is just, what's the last wine you had that you thought was delicious? Let's start there. If it's yellowtail that you picked up from, would you say Walmart, you know, in college, like, okay, great. Was it a white or was it a red? Was it this? Was it that? Was it sweet to you? Was it bitter to you? Was it whatever? And if you can just have a few descriptors in your mind in the same way that we talk about uh, what's the best queso, what's the best enchilada (laughs) out there, you can start to lead. If you're a good uh, wine enthusiast or sommelier or winemaker, you can start to lead people down the path of, of, in my opinion, you know, wine tasting success, which is just understanding your preferences and, and, and getting to the right, right wine at the right price. And eventually those things are going to start to evolve in the same way that you've evolved from doing Coors Light all the way to whatever you drink now uh, in the beer world. It's also like traveling too. I mean, I mean, like you don't stick it like wine drinkers were slutty, right? And like, you know, beer drinkers, I drink yellow or Coors heavy, you know, like that's the beer that I've loved or, or cheerleader beer, Michelob Ultra, you know, on the golf course. And then like, you know, that's, that's my go-to, but if on wine then you can go all these different places and you're going to change, you know, my granddad drank the same whiskey forever, 
but wine drinkers, you're going to, you're going to evolve and you're going to wane and wane and try all these different regions and what you like six months ago, you might not like again, you know, or, or you might want to move on from that. And that's such the fun part of, of wine. Uh, well, and it's a really good point because I think people don't, you know, if you go to the retail stores today and you want to choose one wine, you have the entire world in front of you, right? For like, if you're at a large discount store or even a grocery store or a high-end wine uh, merchant, you are looking at France, Germany, Italy, New Zealand, Australia, Argentina. And I think a lot of people are intimidated just by where in the world to start. Right. Um, and I do love- Texas, they don't know. Well, and <laughs> it should be Texas, right? Of course, assuming yes. they've got a Texas section. Right. Uh, but I think that is also really fun. I love to tell people to just pick one country and just start plugging away at it. Find the price point you want from that country, pay attention to what grape it is, and then just play around with it. We're, especially right now, what else have we got to do? Right? Just, We're all- just, just because it's more expensive does not mean it's better. That's Jessica, we've got, to, we've got to grow grapes. We're not sitting around on the couch. Right now. <laughs> oh, you. I'm sorry, I forget. Yeah. The people that aren't growing grapes. Oh, okay. Only those okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Right. So, Danny, what, what's your... Well, I think... Uh, it's it it boils down to exposure, right? You you're you like what you know, and you're usually going to. I, I see it all the time, and I'm guilty of it because I just you know I find something that I think is incredible, and I think I buy a case of it. You know, this is what I want to drink. But sometimes, every time I've been forced to try something new, um. Most of the time, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised, and I'm like, man, this is this is really good. Had I not been forced to do it, I would have ordered, you know, what I'm used sure. to ordering. I think that's what so many people do with wine. Marketing has so much to do with it. You just you're convinced that oh, if this if they don't have that bottle in that restaurant, they just don't have a good wine list. And every time that I've that I've stretched a bit, uh, and travel has a lot to do with that. Uh, recently, uh, maybe not so recently, a couple years ago. My wife and I were just hooked on Sauvignon Blanc. That's how we wanted to start our evening. I mean, mm-hmm. That would be the go-to. And uh, we were traveling in France, and I ordered a Sauvignon Blanc, and they said, um, you know, he kind of looked at me like, sorry. And I thought, hold <laughs> on. Like, yeah, what's, yeah. What's, what's, <laughs> and he says, well, you need to try this. If you like Sauvignon Blanc, try this. And he poured this bottle, and it was, one, I mean, it was like one of the best things I had ever tasted. And it was a Sancerre. Now, Ever since then, that is what I go to, right? It's just I'd rather order a Sancerre than a Sauvignon Blanc. I'm always looking for a Sancerre to start, right? Similar, you know, basically the same thing almost, I guess. Different region of France. Can I read your mind right now? Yeah. Same grape. Right. Okay. (laughs) So different, uh, just a different region, right? Is it? Am I right about that? Sorry. This is so fun. You're my favorite person to talk to. Um, Yes. So same grape, right? So New Zealand grows Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, it comes from France, but you can get Sancerre, which is Sauvignon Blanc grown in the region of Sancerre. Right. You can get Sauvignon Blanc grown in Bordeaux. White Bordeaux is, is predominantly Sauvignon Blanc and some Simeon. So that's really fascinating, though, right? Because you, you're you used to ordering in the United States by grape variety, right? Right, right, go, right, right. That's the grape I want. And then in France or Italy, they don't do it that way, with the exception of Alsace. And so they do it by region because historically that's what their region has just grown. And so the wine becomes, that's the name of the wine. Right. Um, I love this story. That's so well, great. And it's, it's one of those things. It's exposure, right? So learning that and, and trying to fit. Now I did notice a, quite a bit of a difference in the taste. I still love 
a Sancerre versus a, a Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc. Sure. I just I'd yes. rather go that way. But it's just it's it's one of those things. Had I not been exposed to it, or a friend that brought up Barolo to a fishing trip, and he raved about it. In fact, it's a friend that I mentioned to you earlier. I didn't like it. And he was like, how can you not like that? I mean, it's like, it's, and it, I, it's exposure and learning. Sure. This is what I like and this is what I don't. And the certain things about wine, the the bold, I think bold is the real common, everybody loves that bold cab, which you do find a lot in California. But um, for me, if I can find something that is similar, uh, I usually will say, okay, great. Now I've expanded. Now I'm, I'm, I, I want to learn more about it. I want to try more of that. But it's if you don't travel or if you don't break away and buy the bottle or the label that you don't recognize, you're always going to go back to what you know. Sure. You know? Absolutely. And it can get boring. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, I've, I've got a, I know a guy that <clears throat> he's a Coors Light drinker. But he'll go buy a six-pack of Bud Light Lime. <laughs> And and at the end of a hot day, he'll go home and he'll drink one Bud Light Lime because it it's a change. It's, it's like oh, it's refreshing and it's nice. And I'm like, but that's why don't why do you drink Coors Light? And he's like, <laughs> tastes like water. It's I delicious. don't know. Like it's just it's one of those things that it's interesting. I watched the the first Psalm. Yes. Oh yeah. And that was any of you listening. If you haven't watched it, I think it's on Netflix mm-hmm. or I Amazon. Just left Netflix. Uh, you have to find a Psalm TV app to be able to see it. It was on Netflix. Unfortunately, I literally just heard this past week. It's no longer. But you should see it anyway. You can you can find it streaming. It is. It was one of the things that that, that freaked me out when these when these students are studying for their tests, and 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 they're going through. I mean literally hundreds of flashcards and they're looking at all of these, you know, they're, they're studying, studying, studying. And he's going, it's a tennis ball. It's, it's concrete. It's wet concrete after a rain. It's, it's a shoe leather that, you know, and I'm sitting For there sure. and I'm like, well, uh, 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 what are you talking about? And then we're watching the movie or the show and I pour a glass of wine and I put it to my lips and instantly my mind is telling me what I'm tasting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, that's wine. Yeah. Like it's, it's one of those things where you actually start to, it's almost like a time warp where it takes you back to an experience where you understand. And then your palate is kind of telling you what the flavors are. And, and it didn't matter if it was a cheaper wine. It didn't matter if it was an expensive wine, but it gives you those ideas. So watch that show. If you can, if, even if you're not a wine drinker and you want your mind blown, watch it. I actually would suggest have to, so homework assignment is to go see the second one. There's one called Psalm into the bottle and it, it's the follow-up. And I love to share that movie with just general wine enthusiasts. So not wine professionals, not anyone that's looking to try to understand what a sommelier does, but actually understand why a sommelier loves the world of wine. And it answers those questions as to why does this bottle cost the amount of money that it costs? And it, it gives you the understanding of not only the history that we've been drinking wine for centuries, but also every hand that has touched that wine from, you know, grape bud to glass to, um, you know, to bottle into your glass at dinner. And um, I, I cry every time I see it. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It is a really great film because it it, it really opens up why people appreciate it. And so if you're a novice, if you don't even care about wine, it's that one, um, you know, it's about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And, and you get a better appreciation for the why 
and kind of the passion behind it. I think right. it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. In, in the hill country in Hyde, Texas, what is your, what does the normal person look like that walks, that drives onto your property? Oh gosh. It's, it's everything. It, well, I, I will say at William Chris, we're, we're reservation only. It's a, it's a little bit. Well, excuse me. It didn't used to be. It didn't used grown. to be. Yeah, yeah. You know, we just, we just have so many people trying to get in, but the average person, obviously, you know, they, they, they didn't just stumble upon it. You know, that somebody told them they were at a restaurant when they had a friend, but it didn't used to be like that. The average person, you know, they, they could be, um, 25 and just finished college and starting their job and wanting to know wine for the first time and, and wanting to visit a place. They could, they could be uh, 55, uh, you know, businessman or attorney or my whatever. uncle that was talking to you about. All yeah. The yeah. Enemies. Yeah. He's, he's in our wine club. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was super cool. Um, you know, it's funny, Funny you should say that I just like mentioned, uh, 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 you and he's like, that's my, that's my nephew. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's everybody under the sun and that's what I love about it. It's just like, you know, the opportunity to bring in all these different generations of people and share, share what we do. Um, you know, the, the share the, why we, we work so hard and like I'm away from my kids and up all night and bringing in grapes and harvesting and finding New York and sharing our wine. And like, you know, here today, I mean, like it's, it's a lot. And, and to be able to share that with people is amazing. It's like, you know, we're not on the front lines of, uh, you know, we're not in the military or anything like that, or, you know, first responders or anything like that. But what we do actually helps people, you know? Yeah. I'm- helps a lot of ladies during, uh, <laughs> during uh, quarantine time right now. A lot yeah. of moms. <laughs> so they call that education juice. <laughs> Distance learning. Yep. Yes. I'd be interested to, to hear from, from you guys on what, when we're talking about wines and talking about, you know, what to expect from the different regions and what is it what do you feel is the best description of what is good about texas wine oh shoot well from a regionality standpoint it's well i'll I'll, I'll start here and and i've literally had the absolute pleasure of going to every single wine region from the far northeast or north northwest of the united states all the way down I haven't been to Mexico, but I've been to every single wine region on the West Coast, all the way down through Chile, Argentina, down to Patagonia, and even got to go all over France and Spain. We have something that nobody else has, and that's a lot of thirsty Texans, like fascinated about Texas stuff. And, you know, we have, especially in the Hill Country, this amazing ability between four of the largest uh, 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 cities in the country that are four hours away and they all want to go do something cool and they all want a great experience and in two hour, an hour to four hours, they can all come and pay us money to listen to us talk about wine. Mm-hmm. That's something that doesn't happen just everywhere else. I, I was in Walla Walla, Washington about seven or eight years ago. I'll never forget is, you know, there were, or we were on Red Mountain, actually. And it was just a great wine region, you know, um, super cool stuff. And we walked into this tasting room and I had brought all of our team. We had eight employees or 10 employees at the same time uh, at that time. And we brought everybody in and made a reservation. And this old lady said, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen anybody in 22 days. And it was like, very remote. You didn't have anybody. You've had no person, people in the tasting room. And just then like, you know, the two people that stayed behind, like I got a dinger on my phone and said like, 
you know, you had 56 guests in today. And like, that's something that is a huge opportunity for us. But from a growing side, we have some of the most resilient, amazing farmers that I've ever come in contact with in the high plains. Uh, We also have some amazing farmers in the hill country, but to see the Texas farmer diversify, you know, they're tired of, you know, getting told the price of cotton and grain and sorghum, you know, they, they don't have any control over price. So they, they now have some sort of control. They can build a brand with a winery or even build their own brand um, and, and then grow in this wonderful state. You can take the whole country of France and put it inside the state of Texas. I mean, you guys could, I'm sure will agree. Like we're in Dell city, Texas right now. That is like nowhere else in Texas. You know, you go to Lubbock or Brownfield, the, the, the climate is different, not totally different, but, but drastically dis- different. The soil is different. You go down to, to, to high Texas where we are in the Pertinalis River Valley and we've got granitic soil and um, we've got limestone and all these other places that like Sancerre, they the only place in the world that tastes like that is, is that place. Right, right. Right. So there's all these like wonderful things going on for us. Yeah. The weather sucks sometimes. It's pretty, she, she's a, she's not a kind, kind lady all the time, but um, you know, neither is it in most other regions of, of the world. I, I think, to answer another part of your question, um, what Chris mentioned is really important, and that is, yes, that we are larger than the country of France by about 20 square miles. That's it. Uh, but you can, you w- with that in mind, you understand, having been to Sancerre, right, that their Sauvignon Blanc is a certain way. If you go just a little bit further south to Bordeaux, their Sauvignon Blanc is very different. And then if you go all the way to, like, Alsace or to the Rhone Valley, you're not really going to find a whole lot of it. And that's because those regions have um, created a specificity to the types of grapes that they're growing and the, and the styles. With that in mind, it's hard to just answer the question, what is Texas wine like? Because as, so, as it's so, so big. Yeah. We're so big and we're so diverse. And in addition to that, we're also very young in terms of what we are agreeing upon and what is best to grow, which grapes are best to grow, what styles are best to do. But I do think that, from my opinion, and I, I've been tasting Texas wines and evaluating them for Texas Monthly for 10 years now, what I you like... You poor soul, you. I pour, actually, <laughs> tough, tough, you tough. have no idea. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do it as, you know, it, it's my public service. Sure. Um, but I, I do like to say that for the, the producers who I think are really shining right now and are really showing the best of what Texas farmers are growing. Um, the style is somewhere between what we see in the new world, which is your California's and your Argentina's and your Australia's, right? So ripe, bigger, bolder flavors, but then also the restraint and the minerality and the earthiness that you find in the old world, which is basically just Europe. And um, so, and we grow grapes that they grow in Italy as well as in France and all over, everywhere in between. And so we're still trying to figure out um, what works best for us, but we don't quite have one style, nor do we have one grape, right? Because of the size of the state. Right. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great assessment. Right. Okay. So moving forward and, 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 and wrapping up the, the biggest thing that I get out of Texas wine is pride, you know, and that's, and that's something what are you talking about, Jay. I'm sorry. I'm just, I, I feel it because um, we're the best. That's right. That's right. And, and honestly, there is some 
things that happen behind the scenes that happen in the wine world, especially when we're, we're talking about Texas wine. The fact that uh, you've been a huge proponent of Texas wine comes from Texas grapes. Absolutely. Um, and, and just the, like Sancerre comes from Sancerre. Right. Nowhere else. And and so as people are trying to jump in and we, we talk about this all the time, it's not that hard to actually have a winery. The fact that you could get on the Internet and you could look at what bricks you want and what what everything's going to be and you can order juice and then you can put it into a bottle and call it that it's came from your winery. You don't even have to do that. You can just get the wine already pre-bottled and delivered to your winery and you, you could even have them put the labels on if you want. Right. And, and so with that being said, we talked about you talked about, you know, Texas. What is Texas? And the fact that it's something in the previous podcast that we we were talking to a film crew that's doing a deal for Amazon and they're, they're doing glass bottled milk. And part of that is it's called um, 1836 Farms. And it's uh, they're taking an old Fujifilm plant and they're bottling organic milk. And it's, you know, one one of their areas is in Arizona and the other one is is in outside of. Terrell, 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 <laughs> as they said, but he was quickly corrected. Right. Um, it's, yeah. How do you spell green? <laughs> Just Google that. So, so with, with all of that being said, and the sentiment or the fact that Texas is its own nation, how is Texas going to break out? And you're already doing this. I mean, you're selling boxes or cases of wine to, uh, China and to New York and things like that. But as Texas is developing itself, how do we get out of Texas? Hmm. That's a great question. I think um, continue to make incredible wines that have a sense of place that can compete on a worldwide scale. I mean, if you go into a grocery store, like Jessica was saying, we're competing against the Argentinians that have labor that is so much cheaper than ours, you know, uh, Ch- Chile, same thing, France and, and, and Italy, you have such subsidized wine businesses and we're fighting mother nature here in Texas, um, and fighting big, big farms in California, all that other good stuff, but it's all good, right? I mean, like we can sit here and go, well, it was me, or we can figure it out. And I think that's what we're doing now is figuring out how to grow better, make better wine, and then also be true to our brand. Um, you know, like you said, we make 100% Texas grown wine. And if, if you were in any other region in the world and you said, like, I make 100% Barolo, people would be like, okay, you know, like, but it means something in Texas because, you know, that, that, that like 10 years ago, there was so much outside juice coming in. So I think that to, to start fresh and, and, and continue to build our, our image of Texas wine, we've got to continue to crank out. Uh, grow amazing wine and, and get better at growing it and, and, and get more efficient and also get it to market um, at a reasonable price and continue continuing to, to market the wine um, and its sense of place. I think the sense of place is everything. And, and that starts at teaching people about why location matters. And you guys hit it earlier. It's like, there's nowhere else in the world that tastes like Dell Del City, right? Uh, they're in uh, I haven't tasted a whole lot of the wine from here, but they say the moon's pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that we've got to market those differences and then we've got to be innovative. We've got to break the model, you know, just it, what's happening right now in the, the world of wine is so crazy with tariffs, with restaurants closing. There's a huge shakeup. There's huge opportunities right now. I mean, we could all sit here and go, well, when it gets back to normal, well, you know what? That ain't happening, mm-hmm. right? We got to break the model and figure out a new way, a new way to get wines to market 
differently than have been done before. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're well on our way. We're figuring it out. We're, we're, we're smart people with uh, a lot of great tools and, and we'll get there. Um, that's why you can check out our website. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. And our Instagram. Where, where's that, where's that plug at? Yeah, there you go. William, uh, William Chris. Well, yeah. William Chris Vineyards, William Chris wines.com. You can uh, follow us on Instagram, William Chris Vineyards or I G H Y E T X. Um, and, and definitely check out our website, come visit us, all that good stuff. Cause we have, we have a lot of fun at the winery. And then, uh, you can also look at, uh, if you're in Texas, Arkansas, New Mexico, or no, New Mexico, um, uh, New York, Chicago, Louisiana. Um, and did I say Arkansas already? You can look on our website, williamchriswines.com. Say our Kansas. It's like okay. two states. But we also ship to 38 different states. So get on our website. We'll be happy, happy to deliver you some wine. We've got a, a lot of different things to choose from. Jessica, we're running shorter on time, but how are we breaking out of Texas? I think Texas uh, as a state. So we talked about William Chris. They've done a great job of kind of um, charting their own path and building a brand. And so I don't want to take away from that. But I think if Texas is going to be recognized across the country as um, on par with uh, states like California and Washington and Oregon, I think we have to create a more cohesive industry. And I don't think we have that right now. So I don't want to like no. say a bunch of negative stuff and I don't, want to get, <laughs> I don't want to get into politics, but let's do that next time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say if we can, uh, as an industry can come together and create exactly what it is that we are trying to do, which means create a Texas product grown for Texas grapes. I think that's really important. And that's actually not something that everyone agrees on right now. I, I think that's kind of a big thing, too, with you guys flying in today is saying, hey, we both are, you know, well, all four of us are here from a different mindset saying, let's do something that's good for for us, for Texas. Yeah. Let's do something that's, you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere when it comes to grapes. I mean, we're way, way, way out of the norm. At the same time, for you guys to come over and say, you know what, hey, this might be something that you guys can link up on or do something down the road, um, is something that's huge. Danny, what do you think as far as where are we headed? Um, that's a really good question. Hopefully, we're headed in the direction of uh, growing outside of the fact that we right now we just we grow grapes, and um, I think we we definitely want to get more into the production and and retail side of what we do. I think that's at least we've from a business standpoint, I think that's the model that that we need to pursue, but very much in the vein of becoming part of the Texas wine movement and figuring out the best way to do it. Our geographic location is is such that we're, you know, we're eight hours from San Antonio. We're 11 hours from Dallas or Houston is you, you might as well drive to San Diego. It's shorter, literally. But um, we've we've got to somehow find a place to where we can grow outside of this region and and become part of the Texas wine movement because so much of it is considered central Texas in the high plains. So that's going to I think that's yours and my goal. And uh, figuring out how to do that and and do it in such a way that we we can be true to our brand, like you mentioned earlier, and create a brand because I think that's that's definitely the the, the way we're moving. But do it in such a way that we become part of something instead of being isolated, not only geographically, but you know, stuck in a market that. There's so many things that happen in Texas wine that we 
don't know. Yeah, we don't hear about it. You know, and that's we're, I'm grateful for you being here, Katie Jane, you know, with Farmhouse. She's yeah. been absolutely terrific for us to be able just to, hey, they're doing a, you know, Texas High Plains, you know, wine growers deal. And we're like, well, we're not in Texas High Plains. She's like, just get up here and meet somebody, <laughs> you know. And so it's one of those deals that we really uh, were appreciative for that. But at the same time, you know, we, we're at a point to in talking even on the last podcast, you know, we want to tell our story in a way that, that people can understand. And there's a lot of things that people see, you know, in Instagram and, and, and social media is rough on that where people, it kind of gives you something to look at and you're like, well, if I, if I did this, then I can get to that guy's level. And that's not inspiring. What's inspiring is saying, Hey, this guy started in 2008 with $40,000 in an American express card and he's built William Chris. You know, that's that's the story that we want to be able to say is this is not just a you pop up shop one day and you build an empire. It's it's a story that goes along with it. But we want to do that while connecting ourselves to people in this industry that makes us all stronger, because let's face it, if we if we link a story together and someone's like, hey, I want to try that wine's a little acidic. I want to try some of that that came out of out of Dell City. Like, oh, yeah. They talk about what Jay and Danny got going over there. (laughs) You know, the next thing you know, you build that culture of success. What's your biggest fear, Jessica? (gasps) She's a Texan. True Texan. That's a true Texan right there. Not knowing what to say. Not knowing what to say. (laughs) Okay. So that's how you overcame it too. Chris, what's your biggest fear? Man. um, I don't know. I think maybe, gosh, getting deep here. um, Just not being able to teach my kids everything that I want want to teach them, you know, um, pass on, pass on stuff. I mean, they're, they're five and nine and, um, you know, they're getting to the age where they can really figure stuff out. And I think like, um, this, this whole COVID thing has really just taught me a lot. Like I want to build this empire of Texas wine. Um, and I still want to do that, but I think that the trajectory of what I was, how fast I was doing it before, like being gone all the time, like, man, I don't want to go that fast anymore at that price. Right. You know, I want to make sure I spend more time at home and, um, and, and, and quality time, you know, not, not being on the, on the computer, or, mm-hmm. um, on the phone and, and, um, you know, and, and I get, get great time with my kids, but I just want to make sure that I, I make time for more of it because I want to, and be able to, to share that time with them and share, you know, shooting, shooting with them and so many, great aspects of life that, that my dad taught me. And even though he was really busy and gone all the time, you know, when he was home, he was home. Yeah. So I think that's my biggest fear. You can answer it now. Yeah. You're going to be on many more podcasts. Yeah, no, so. I, well, I have had some time to think about it. So I'm glad yeah. that Jessica went first. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think today my, my biggest fear, and it, it, it has something to do with what we're dealing with is stand, you know, stagnation being, being stuck. My, uh, and and part of that is a fear of being afraid to do what's needed to grow, whether it's with the family, uh, which is which is you know very very much at the top of the list, but um, not reaching a point where you feel stuck, where mm-hmm. like you uh, and I think a lot of people are dealing with that right now. Kind of just what do we do next? Right, frozen and, in fear. Right, and and that. I think that's that's a real fear. I mean, I don't I don't want to ever get there. I don't want to ever get to the point where I feel like, hey, we're stuck with what we've got. And I don't think we are. And I'm definitely not going to act like 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 we are. But um, I don't want to get to that point. I don't want to get 
ever get to the point where we feel like, man, we can't grow or we can't expand. And from the family level all the way down through business and, and anything else that we're doing, we have to we have to kind of push forward and and take take the next steps. So it might change in a couple of weeks. So we'll see. <laughs> get we'll see, man. We'll see get if I get to answer that question again. Absolutely. Wrapping up, I just want to say thanks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sorry I missed you the first time, Jessica, when you came out. But I'm I'm so glad I got to meet you and you got to come out. Okay, I got all the secrets of your vineyard before you knew. That's <laughs> with Philip. Yeah, you're gonna get some secrets. <laughs> Something. Yeah. And that's 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 the bottle we want. I want I want that stick character of Philip on there. One of the things too is I don't know a lot about grapes, you know. But I'm learning. I'm learning every single day because he's pounding it into my head. But at the same time, we want this vineyard to be a, a heritage or a lineage or a, a, you know, a stone that said Philippe was a part of this. And he built what this next brand is sure. because he stuck with us. And he sat there and said, Jade, you're a total dumbass. And I can't understand anything. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, we want that. We want that to be transferred forward. And, uh, and so I think that's our direction. I think that's why we're, we're, we're not running a D eight through those vines right now. Right. Don't, don't do it, man. What I saw today is a really beautiful potential. I mean, you guys have something that's really special and, um, you know, and, and I look forward to, to seeing what you guys do. Cause I think you guys got something really special that, um, could be a, something that more people can taste out of, out of Dell city. I mean, it, it's only going to taste like that here. Right. Right. You know? Well, thanks guys. Very Appreciate good. it. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Thank you for, thank you for the invite. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Doors always open. Till next time. Cheers.